0: Welcome back to Press Coverage. Two shows this week. This is a fun week, and uh, I you know I know what you guys are tuning in, and you're thinking, you know, Theo's going to talk about the Senior Bowl or the NFL playoffs. We're not doing any of that. I have a special guest today, Andrew Erickson of Fantasy Pros, and I hit up Andrew, and I'm like, Andrew, let's do an early ranking show. Let's do an early flag plant show. So we're, we're excited for today. Uh, you've heard Andrew Erickson on Player Profiler. I'm sure you listen to him on Fantasy Pros. Andrew's been on Mind and Mansion with Matt Kelly. Andrew's come on First Class Fantasy with Billy and I. I believe this is your first time on press coverage, though, Andrew. So welcome. We try to bring in the sharpest guess, try to find actionable information to help you win in fantasy. And I don't care if it's January or whether it's April. This kind of stuff, when we start doing our process and evaluation of players, sometimes it's better when it's fresh on the mind from this previous season. So, Andrew, welcome into press coverage. Let everybody know what you're doing this time of year.
1: Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Theo. I'm excited to be back on talking 2024 rankings here. It's not in February yet, and we're already looking ahead to the next season. We don't even know if, you know, there could be an injury in the Super Bowl and it could affect rankings, but no, now we're already diving in. So yes, I am over at Fantasy Pros, things I'm working on right now. actually just released this big article called the Fantasy Football Forecast, which basically looks at all of the 30 teams that their seasons are done, they're completely finished. And I kind of look at each team from an overarching view of what happened in 2023, what have what's already changed as we project them into 2024. And it has a recap and has some of my early season takeaways for the 2024 season that we'll kind of discuss here. And I'm also on betting pros where you can check out things like the Super Bowl Betting Primer, my props article for the hashtag big game. And also I'm gonna be working on, you know, again, senior bowls going on right now, all my colleagues. Thor, Nightstrom, Debro are all over senior bowl coverage. And I got to play catch-up. So I'm going to be catching up on the rookies this week and next now that I've got my big fantasy football forecast out.
0: Do you have any initial lean here for the senior for the Super Bowl?
1: Chiefs. I mean Chiefs, me too. I, just, I mean, look. I mean, if you just take Chiefs plus one and a half, it's like I, I wrote about this before the AFC championship game. Like, if you want to ruin your Sunday, just bet against Patrick Mahomes. I can guarantee it'll ruin your Sunday for you. And if you do it for the Super Bowl, I mean, I want to have a good time, man. I want to enjoy my Super Bowl party, want to eat some food, have some beverages, and not be miserable. So I'm gonna bet on Mahomes. That that's what I'm gonna do.
0: <laughs> no, for sure. And plenty of plenty of shows over the next you know week or so that you're gonna listen to that are gonna break down every little thing you could think of with the Super Bowl. And we have multiple colleagues. I have Jason Allwine from Player Profiler. Half of the the Fantasy pros staff is down in Mobile, Alabama for the Senior Bowl. So, you know, we're not going to talk about that stuff today. This is rookie free. This is just looking at how we're seeing the top of the board. And we're going to go through a couple of these questions that I think will help everybody's process uh, when we take a look at next season. Uh, underdog draft started. I recently did a press coverage with Davis Maddock where we discussed an FFPC early best ball. Today we're thinking redraft, but they sort of correlate a little bit. Little bit. So we have underdog ADP at this point. The top five for underdog uh, early drafts right now is Christian McCaffrey, Tyree Hill, CeeDee Lamb, Justin Jefferson, and Jamar Chase. And I thought it would be great to start the show out. Andrew, let us know your current top five players. You can give them give them us just five guys, or if you want to rank them, that that's that's good as well. So if we have to take a bird's eye view and look at 2024, where are you at right now in your top five?
1: Yeah. So my early top five rankings, I have Jamar Chase, Justin Jefferson, Christian McCaffrey, Brees Hall, and then Amon Ra Saint Brown as my fifth player. Now I do feel the strongest about the top four guys. And I'm on rock kind of sliding is at number five. I don't feel as great about. So again, like right after him, I have Tyreek Hill. I have CD lamb. So that's what those guys are based on, you know, comparing them to the top five rankings that you had listed off. So yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I, I, I don't want to be like a prisoner of the moment with some of someone like CD lamb. I guess that's kind of the hot button player that I don't have ranked inside my top five. And I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm somewhat not skeptical, but yeah, he was a wide receiver one this past year, and all it took was Tyree Kill getting hurt, Justin Jefferson getting hurt, Jamar Chase losing his quarter. Like a lot of things kind of worked in CD Lamb's favor to kind of vault him up to be the number one wide receiver. And to me, it's like, yes, he was very good. He took that step last year, but we're not drafting last year's teams. Like we're drafting ahead of time. We're drafting for 2024. So I think that it was really the perfect storm for Lamb last year, whereas everyone else kind of fell apart and kind of Opened up the door for him to grab that wide receiver one by
0: default. And I'm
1: just not so and, sure that's going go and,
0: and by scoring a lot of fantasy points.
1: Yeah. But, you know, Chase well, didn't have his quarterback. Jefferson got hurt. He didn't have his quarterback either.
0: Like, yeah.
1: And not... those guys all over Lamb last year.
0: So, so my current top five would be Christian McCaffrey at the top. I would have CeeDee Lamb two overall, then three Justin Jefferson, four. Tyreek Hill, and then five, Jamar Chase. So that's sort of like, we're kind of in lockstep. I I didn't put Amon Ross St. Brown in there, but let me just kind of push back. Amon Ross, your fifth overall? Did you say fourth, Andrew? Fifth. Okay, so my only question would be, you know, we get Ben Johnson back, so we have no questions about scheme change. That's a huge win. Do you have any fears that Sam Laporta sees a higher number of targets? Jameer Gibbs is utilized in the passing game. Maybe Jamison Williams gets himself a consistent, let's say, 18 to 19% target share. And we all of a sudden have Amon Ross St. Brown sort of being excellent, but not quite as target heavy as last year. Or do you see him as just a, that's an alpha. He's he's going in with 150 targets or more, no matter what.
1: I mean, I think that he's just an alpha. I, I mean, it's been since day one, since he basically became a starter where he's gone on the streak of, games where he just puts up monster numbers like he was on a streak um and i kind of remember this from betting on him during the playoffs and during the the player prop season where he was hitting up 100 receiving yards every single week like and it wasn't even close like yes we had lamb do that at at points last year we had aj brown going a bunch of streaks but it was every single week 100 yards 100 yards 100 yards 100 yards and his it was just bonkers to me i was like are we still like undervaluing on Ross St. Brown? And like, he's doing it with, okay. Sam Laporte is obviously a rookie that had a big year, but there's still no one around him that I really think is going to take away targets from a man that all he does is walk on the field to command targets. He's also playing in a contract year. Like yeah. he has to ball out to get paid because he wasn't a first round pick. Like he's not made that much money at all in the NFL. So he has more incentive to absolutely go nuclear this year. And the fact that Ben Johnson is coming back, like, that was something I was like holding my breath for. I was like, with all these lines, peace of mind, like, please, <laughs> please find a way for him to come back to this offense to save Jared Goff from crumbling like what we saw in the second half of his career with the Los uh, Angeles Rams. So for me, I'm on Raw to me. He just feels safe to me. Like, I know exactly what I'm going to ex- expect, but like with Mike McCarthy, I just have this, this concern with him where he could wake up one day and be like, you know what? I want to run the football more. Like I, I just believe in Ben Johnson and his offensive philosophy, putting his players in the best position to succeed. Versus Mike McCarthy, who just happens to do boneheaded things all the freaking time. So for me, that's that's why I St. Brown.
0: Yeah, and and I'm on Russ St. Brown. Like you know, early in his career was you know trying to figure out what he was. I mean, there has been I, I there was a prominent uh you know fantasy analyst last summer who said he's Julian Edelman. I mean, we kind of laughed that one off. And it was not somebody at fantasy pros on the record that was or player profiler, but somebody pretty well known in the streets. Um, But he gets you, you know, 10 touchdown catches this year, which I think was a big step forward for him. And then obviously the 1500 receiving yards was also a huge step forward. So I'm with you. It's really difficult to poke holes in Amon Ross St. Brown. I think Jefferson and Chase, they don't really even need to be discussed. They are what they are. Uh, Incredible talents with which could each finish as wide receiver one overall. I think that the one that's interesting is Brees Hall, and that was going to be a, a question we had for kind of the ranking debates was who is your RB2? It seems everybody has Christian McCaffrey at RB1, but there's a little bit of pushback. Some people might have Jameer Gibbs. Some people might have Bijan John Robinson taking that big step forward, but you have Brees Hall soundly inside of your top five. Want to expand on that, Andrew?
1: I just think that Brees Hall is this this immense – talent and you know he was able to still be like fantasy viable to an extent last year in pretty much the worst situation you could put any type of player in in a scenario where he was not only playing in behind a bad offensive line with a horrible quarterback but he also was coming off a torn ACL injury that we were expecting him to start out the season slow and what did we see week 18 again we don't talk about week 18 enough because it doesn't count in our Final Fantasy stats, but Brees Hall had almost 40 touches in the Week 18 game against the Patriots. I watched it because I was hoping my Patriots would lose against the Jets, and they did, and I I felt great about it. But they have shown a willingness to be like, hey, we can feed Brees Hall this much. He can be the engine of our offense, and the concentration between Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson that we saw this Jets offense kind of evolve into, I mean, if we get 75% of Aaron Rodgers, I mean, because the only thing that was holding back Guys like Brees Hall was the touchdowns. He just couldn't score. Like, that was it. And that's honestly what shifts the highest scores from the lowest scores. It's like CeeDee Lamb, Kyron Williams, McCaffrey. They all scored a ton of touchdowns last year. Brees Hall didn't. But he was still top 10 in terms of yardage and targets and receptions and everything else that projects well for a running back coming off another year removed from his injury with a quarterback that cannot possibly be worse. I get that Aaron Rodgers is not someone we're super excited about, but he's not going to be injured. He's going to be healthy. And he's better than who they were trotting out last year, even at age 40. So that's why I'm confident in Brees Hall.
0: It was, you know, he goes over 75 receptions. I think he gets 76 receptions last year. You're talking about like an Alvin Kamara level, uh, a total of receptions. So he's already shown us that, you know, he flashed as a receiver during the his rookie season when it got cut short. But I think he took that to the next step. And I, I love the fact that they were inefficient running the ball. So they utilized him more as a receiver. That's exactly what we want to see out of our big-time running backs. Let's push push forward with the other two guys, though. Jameer Gibbs, sensational this year. Uh, beat expectations at ADP. If you have him in Dynasty or, in re- or you drafted him last year, you were super happy about it. Bijan Robinson, there was some frustration usage-wise. Not necessarily talent. Uh, now we get a coaching sta- uh, change in Atlanta. Your thoughts on having a... Sean McVay tree Zach Robinson led offense and what this should do for Bijan Robinson.
1: Well, I still think that even if Zach Robinson is an upgrade over Arthur Smith, who didn't really seem to use his guys in the right fashion, we still don't have an answer at quarterback. Like that still yeah. matters substantially for this offense overall. And you know, as annoying as it was for Arthur Smith and how he kind of used his players, like I mean, Bijan Robinson's receiving usage was excellent, like overall, like, I mean, to think that he would be second overall in terms of like routes run and route participation at running back. I did not think that was going to happen. I didn't think he was going to have more catches than Drake London and have more catches than Kyle Pitt. Like I, I didn't really think that was gonna happen. I thought he'd be involved enough, but he was involved a ton. So give Arthur Smith some credit for that. Now the issues were more on the red zone and it's like, Hey, who are you going to use as your red zone running back? Like that was really the bigger issue, because they kept using Tyler Algier. More in the red zone than Bijan Robinson. But I mean, Tyler Algier was still like a decent back and had a good rookie season. So I can't really blame him. Again, you spend guy, draft capital, eighth overall to use Bijan because so like we should probably use him a little bit more, especially to score touchdowns. But I mean, it's not like Algier is a, a horrible running back to use. So yeah, I do think that yeah, Robinson coming in is is good overall, but who's under center? Because that's ultimately yeah. what's going to be the driver. Again, if they want to, they want to bring Ryan Tannehill, like like someone like that, like just a steady body that can distribute the ball and not be just utter chaos. Then, yeah, I I think we could get somewhere with these Falcons players. Um, but for me, I still like Gibbs probably over Robinson, and it it seems because I think both guys are super talented, uh, but I would argue Gibbs had a better rookie year. I think he's on a better team. I think he has more opportunities to score. Because you're looking at two running backs that both could split time in the red zone. But we saw Gibbs last year. I mean, it's funny when I mean, you look at just like total raw red zone attempts, like Gibbs is seeing as much usage in the red zone because of how much, how good the offense is for the Lions as a guy like Najee Harris, right? And Najee Harris, we view as like the goal line back on his team. Like Gibbs sees similar red zone uses to Najee Harris because the Lions are just that better at scoring every single week than the Pittsburgh Steelers. So Again, and I think Gibbs kind of comes at this good, I don't want to say discount, but there are warts in his profile where, oh, well, he's going to split Mar- He's going to split work with Dave Montgomery. Oh, he doesn't get all the goal line touches. It's like, but when you just look at how efficient he is, he's an elite pass catcher. We know the line's defense is not going to be good. If it's not good again, then you know he's also game script proof. Like he will be used more in the passing game if they're falling behind the games. And again, we talked about Amon Ross and Brown. Who's going to step up behind him? I-, I know we're still holding out hope for Jameson Williams, but like the guy's not commanding targets. Like, yes, yeah. he makes big plays, but he's two years in, we've shown zero target commanding for Jameson Williams, like Zippo. So I would lean on Gibbs being more involved in the passing game too. So especially with Jared Goff, who doesn't move. Um, so for me, it's goes Hall, Gibbs, and then Robinson.
0: Yeah. So I, I might even push Gibbs up to RB too, um, just because I think he's got that immense potential. And I think a great mental exercise when looking at Gibbs is, You know, if if we could flash, we could rewind time and we go back to the summer of 2023. And I said, Andrew, Jameer Gibbs is only going to catch 52 passes. Where does he finish uh, in terms of running back scoring? You probably would have said like RB 25. Um, You know, this was sort of like a an under underwhelming performance as a receiver, and that was sort of the mo and the profile that was presented to us. And the bull argument was he was going to have something like Brees Hall did where he was going to get 75 catches, and that was going to be Jameer Gibbs. So I think that unbelievable upside as a receiver, uh, you know, really kind of propels him for me. And I have really no questions about the Lions offense. I think it could even be better. Year three of Ben Johnson, Laporte is going to be a year older. Gibbs is going to be a year older. Jamison Williams has more experience as a pro. And like you said, Amon Ross St. Brown is about as locked in as it gets. So like the pie grows larger type argument for the entire Lions offense uh Bijan won though you got to be excited and I think that can it get worse at quarterback for him than it was this year I think that there'll be more options on this market than maybe some people think Washington drafts a quarterback you know I think potentially Sam Howell could get moved Justin Fields could get moved so uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see that's a that's a whole nother show but the most polarizing player right now in terms of where you're ranking him is Kyron Williams he's currently the RB4 in underdog and after a short break Andrew is going to make a bull case or a bear case for Kyron Williams.
2: Oh, I see it every day online, every single day. Hey, that looks like a great fantasy team in an eight-team league. Oh, I wish I could be in a league with you, right? Well, guess what? Now you can respond with, sure, let's play on battle. That's the beauty of this platform. This new battle platform standardizes all position scoring. So you just load your team and you challenge your friend, your colleague, Twitter Troll, and you can browse other teams and issue challenges. Betel is revolutionizing fantasy football. And with code UNDERWORLD, you get a $100 instant deposit match plus a free $10. So even if you deposit 20 you get $50. Think about that. So go to Betel.com. The code is UNDERWORLD. Betel.com. The code is UNDERWORLD. Or click a link in the description. It's fun to be right.
0: Welcome back to Press Coverage. Theo Greminger with Andrew Erickson of Fantasy Pros. And Andrew, probably the either the, the best late round pick or the best running back you could have gotten off the waiver wire at any point last season was Kyron Williams. Unbelievable rise for him. Incredible volume. Averaged over 20 points per game in PPR. And the market has reacted. In underdog, Kyron Williams is currently going off the board as RB5 and he's going in the first round. He's the uh the 11th overall pick in early underdog drafts. Uh so again, that's half point PPR, but Kyron Williams is sort of a litmus test. Uh, there's so many dynasty shows right now saying he's he's a sell. There's been multiple early rankings where I either see people extremely bullish on him or incredibly bearish on him with fears that this could be the next James Robinson. Where are you at on Kyron Williams? Was this a situation of the moment and a guy that made the most of a one, uh, you know, essentially a one year wonder, or is this a guy who could be like a Terrell Davis, um, Alfred Morris type that could hold value for several seasons?
1: Yeah. Kyron Williams is definitely going to be the one of the most polarizing players to talk about to draft all season long. But I guess where I kind of settle on him with Kyron is look when he's healthy, like he's going to be a top five running back. Like, I have no doubt in my mind that, you know, Sean McVay loves this guy. You know, he was the second most productive running back in terms of points per game behind only Chris McCaffrey last year. So, like, there's a price where you have to be willing to pay for that player, even though he comes along with some red flags. In terms of, yeah, he doesn't have great, great draft capital. Um, The injuries have kind of been worrisome the last two seasons. He got hurt his rookie year, and then he got banged up this past year. Again, he's undersized, 195 pounds. So, there are concerns. So I guess for me, it's like, I can't imagine he stays at RB4, RB5 all off season long. I feel like he's going to probably be talked down more than talked up because people will get cold feet. It's really about a price point for me with Kyron Williams, where I have him ranked RB4 in my rankings, but I kind of feel like, okay, am I being a prisoner of the moment here? Is it really more about based on the production? And I guess for me, it's like, what are people weighing more? Are people weighing more of his actual production? Like, okay, this is going to sustain, or is it, no, we're out on this guy? Because if people are out on this guy, and then he starts to fall, trickle into, okay, now he's a second-round pick, he's not a first-round pick, well, there's an opportunity to buy here. And if the Rams don't invest in any type of running back, even if they do, I, I think that's probably an opportunity to buy Kyron at a cheaper price. So would I be willing to draft him right now as RB4? Like, probably not, because I think that his price is probably going to go down. Like, I, I can just see the rhetoric where we, when you're looking at the top guys, Kyron Williams, to me, does not scream out like, oh, this guy's safe, right? I, I I don't think he profiles as that. But that doesn't mean he can't be drafted. Like, you got to yeah. take some risks, even in the first round, because what's the reward with Kyron Williams? Oh, the second highest scoring running back in fantasy football. Like, that's who it is.
0: I think that you could go several ways here. So the, the chat, we have Permar saying that, you know, Kyron Williams is injury prone, too small, and not that good. I don't. I would push back on that. I think he, you know, if a guy's going to score 15 touchdowns, he's got to be pretty good. Uh, injuries. We don't have a big enough sample size. I mean, year one missed some time, but th- and then year two missed a little bit. I don't know, Permar. I th- I think it comes down to me more opportunity cost than anything because if you're drafting early, like especially in best ball, you're taking Kyron Williams ahead of Garrett Wilson you're taking him ahead of A.J. Brown, and then you're taking him ahead of a back with a lot more sample size in Jonathan Taylor. So definitely polarizing. It seems like you're sort of neutral on this, Andrew. That's kind of where I'm at too. And I've, another great point is from Toronto Dave is if you're in the middle on Kyron, you're going to have zero. And I think that's that's okay. Because I think there's going to be people out there that are that are way bullish. There's people that are incredibly bearish like, Davis Matic and Matt Kelly, the Podfather, are completely out. They don't want anything to do with him in early drafts and and in Dynasty. Um, so I, I'll take kind of a a neutral approach here. I, it's it's definitely like a hold your breath summer. Uh, the entire free agency process and also the entire NFL draft will be like a hold your breath thing. You don't want to see like somebody who can take away you know a, a third of Kyron's touches or something like that, uh, which you know could be the the most logical decision for the Rams to add more talent in that backfield to back him up. So definitely a a hold your breath type thing. And then Kyron Williams wasn't the only back to make a huge leap in year two. We also saw Rashad White and James Cook and also Isaiah Pacheco take big steps forward. Right now in underdog, Rashad White's RB10, James Cook is RB12, Kenneth Walker is RB13, And I was actually a little bit surprised to see that Isaiah Pacheco has settled in at RB9. So you have four running backs that are heading into year three that all took big strides in year two. So between Pacheco, Walker, White, and James Cook, which would be the player that you're sort of most excited about heading into the offseason, Andrew?
1: I think for me, it's probably James Cook. Um, Just kind of looking at the coaching changes that they've made in terms of bringing back Joe Brady. You know, we saw Cook really explode in the Bills offense to get more involved. He was second in carries per game, four targets per game, three catches per game, 181 touches from week 11 onward. That was 20 touches per game, nearly 16 expected fantasy points per game. That was ninth and 14 point, points per game, which was 13. So he was pretty much doing where he's being ranked. And that was accompanied by zero, like no touchdowns. Like, that, like that's the thing with James Cook. I think, at worst, okay, he's going to be a low-end fantasy RB1 because we know he's explosive. We know he can make plays as a rusher and a receiver. And it's just about, does Josh Allen score 15 rushing touchdowns or not? Like, that's how it gets flipped. Is if James Cook ends up scoring those touchdowns, oh, there you go, you have a top-five running back. Like, that's how it happens. And, again, with touchdowns, sometimes they're hard to project. Like, no one could come out and say, oh, Tony Pollard's going to be second in the NFL in red zone touches and score five touchdowns. Like. You can't say that, like confidently, because, but then it happened, right? So with James Cook, if for some reason they dial back Josh Allen as a rusher in the goal line, and it just changes, and then they use James Cook more in that role, Tavius Murray's going to be free agent, so he's gone. He had, a t- he had a bunch of carries inside the five-yard line and never could score. So if those yeah. carries go to James Cook, okay, boom, now you're cooking with gas. You have a running back who can get there as a low-end RB1 without touchdowns, and now you're layering in touchdowns because ultimately, again, we talked about it at the beginning of the show. The guys that post the elite seasons, they do it because of touchdowns, because they use get insane red zone usage. So if James Cook falls in the positive side of that type of variance, then that's how I can get excited about him. Whereas with Ken Walker, with Rashad White, we have new offensive coordinators coming in. We don't know who the Seahawks offensive coordinator is going to be. Um, Zach Charbonnet wasn't great as a rookie, but I think it's still telling that he still played a lot. Like he still played a lot of snaps. And that's something I always try to remember. You know, we talked about this when we faded Alexander Madison to oblivion last year, where this dude could never get on the field unless somebody got hurt. That's telling. But when someone's on the field alongside the starter, it shows that, hey, he actually might be good. Like, why else would they be playing him, even if he's not always getting the ball necessarily? So I think it's telling that Charbonne was at least play a lot as a rookie, you know, out snapping Ken Walker in a lot of games at different times during the second half of the season when he was healthy. And then Rashad White, does this Bucks offense just take a step back without Dave Canales? Like, yeah. that's a big concern for me. We saw the Seahawks offense kind of take a step back after they lost him. Um, Baker Mayfield, again, played well above expectation this year. Okay, well, now he's coming back with expectations, assuming that he comes back to Tampa Bay. Now, what does that mean for Rashad White? Do they add more competition to Rashad White? Because, look, if they had any other running back last year besides, like, an injured Chase Edmonds, Sean Tucker, like, these dudes that just can't flat-out play, they probably would have tried somebody else besides Rashad White. As as proud as I was to be a Rashad White stand last year, like, I was worried the first four weeks in, I was like, Oh man, this is not looking good, but they had no one else to turn to. So I think for me, it's James cook that I'm probably the most excited about because he gets Joe Brady back in just hoping that, Hey, this is the year he gets lucky with touchdowns and that kind of volts him up inside the top five versus being, um, you know, in more of that 10 to 12 RB range.
0: Yeah. It's, it's funny. You bring up like Rashad white and being a Stan, and we were incredibly bullish on him at player profiler, I know you were, and there was a couple other people, Jared Smola. Um, but there was a lot of people who you know, were not big fans of him, and then he smashed at ADP. But now it's this huge correction where if you want Rashad White, you're drafting him inside the third round as opposed to last year where we're getting him in the sixth round. So it's the same thing with James Cook and the, the huge correction for Isaiah Pacheco. The one thing I would push back on the Ken Walker-Charbonnet uh, is – Ken Walker, you know, he's given us like 17 uh, rushing touchdowns as a pro. He's very effective as that, effective on big plays. There's a chance that the new offensive coordinator might not want as much of a committee backfield and might lean into Ken Walker. So I think he's got kind of a big range here. How about some older running backs? Is there any older running back that you think is a little bit under the radar? Um, You know, I'll throw out. Are you completely out on Austin Eckler? Are you completely out on, on Derrick Henry guys like that, where we've got a little bit of question marks, would you be worried about them in early drafting?
1: Yeah, I think I'm worried about them in a vacuum. I will say that I think that one of these running backs, if they end up in Dallas, I think oh, would yeah. be in a situation where they could just, I mean, if Derrick Henry is on the Dallas Cowboy, like, like, oh my God, like that could be something that could be something that could work. I could just see that work and that be the situation where I would, I would buy the situation more than the aging running back per se. Um, But where I don't know where their landing spots are. Yes. I'm, I would definitely say I'm out on those guys, but the guy that I like who I feel good about his situation is James Connor. Look, he absolutely smashed when Kyler Murray came back last year, week 10 onward RB seven, overall RB six and points per game. And I get the rhetoric around James is always about the injuries. Yeah. He plays running back. So yeah. Yeah. He gets banged up a lot because he plays running back, but I think that when you're looking for offenses that could perform above expectation, I'm looking at Arizona. Like this is an offense that every game that they play, and this is coming from my betting background from last year, every game they played in Arizona went over the projected total. Every game was a shootout in the desert. Every single game in Arizona was a shootout. Like this offense can score points and their defense still has a lot of work to do. So I think this game, this offense can be fun. And James Conner is in a contract year. He's 29 years old. What are they going to do? feed Michael Carter, feed Amari DiMaccato. No, they're going to just feed James Conner. Like they've done the last three seasons. So I like James Conner, especially with, I don't know what his ADP is. Can't imagine it's super high, but with Kyler Murray back, this office could be top 10. And I want the running back who gets the Belco usage in that backfield.
0: James Conner currently RB 23 um, on underdog and free in dynasty. If you want a source oh, of yeah. like right. you could, you can offer him a third people every off season, It's an annual tradition that people think James Conner is just dead in fantasy. And then the next year he puts up RB2 numbers and then we have this same conversation again. Um, But, you know, we looked at guys who produced in year two and then we saw, you know, with Bijan, Jameer Gibbs and Devon A-Chain, there's certainly a ton of enthusiasm for those guys right now, all going within the first like 18 picks on underdog. Is there a rising year two back that, you're really excited about that you could potentially flag plant, or we're just super excited to see how the off goes. A guy who could take a big step forward in terms of fantasy scoring next season
1: at running
0: back specifically. A second, oh yeah. Oh, well, so I'll say I'll, I'll say the guy that I'd loved it for you to to get your uh, thoughts on is Tajay Spears because Tajay oh. Spears I think is is in Fuego right now and enthusiasm for him in Dynasty and also as potential best ball and redraft asset. If Derrick Henry signs with, you know, let's say the Baltimore Ravens, which is my dream destination for him or your dream destination, the Dallas Cowboys, how do you view Di- Ty J. Spears? Could he be this year's James Cook Rashad white, or should we temper expectations a little bit?
1: No, I, I think you hit the nail on the head calling him this year's Rashad white. I, I think that the parallels are like uncanny to a-, a point where I can see like how you write the fade narrative of Ty J. Spears, right? Oh, well, The Titans is going to suck. They can't block. They have a horrible quarterback. All the same things we are saying about the Buccaneers offense. Same exact spiel. You just say for the Titans offense, they're going to be losing in a bunch of games. And I'm like, okay, so you're telling me I can get an explosive running back that again, as a rookie showed that he can get on the field alongside Derrick Henry. He was out snapping Derrick Henry seemingly every other week. Now he wasn't out producing him in terms of rushing, but he was still on the field. They were finding ways to get him the ball. He had the 12th highest route participation as a rookie at running back 48%. He was running around almost half the dropbacks and who's coming in Brian Callahan. What do we love about Joe Mixon so much in that Bengals offense Pass game usage? And he wasn't even playing on third downs half the time. Joe Mixon was always involved heavily in the passing game. And when you look at the Titans offense, who are you throwing the ball to? You have DeAndre Hopkins who's getting older. Traylon Burks. Uh, Nick Westbrook, Akine, uh, Chris Moore, like they don't have anyone to throw the ball to except Hopkins and Spears. So he's going to be involved a ton in the passing game. So if they're trailing in games, that's, what's going to happen. He's going to get pepper with targets and Callahan coming in. We saw this Bengals offense shift dramatically last year because of the injuries on the offensive line, because of Joe Burrow's injury. What do they do? Get the ball quick. Don't let Joe Burrow get sacked. Will Levis was a sack machine last year and in college. I think Callahan coming in is going to indicate that, hey, we're going to get the ball quick. And what does that mean? You get the ball to your running backs in space. So I think that being aggressive on Spears is the right thing to do right now. Assuming that Derek Henry doesn't return. I know that they've said, oh, well, you know, I could be open to a it's like, yeah, I could be open to a lot of things too. But it's like, it's probably not going to happen. I mean, he, he literally had like a goodbye speech written after the game <laughs> and his last game played. So I don't think he's coming back. And I think that Spears is set up to be This year's Rashad White for all the reasons I kind of listed out here. I think the situation is really perfect for him to be potentially a low end fantasy RB one or our highest expectations to basically match what Rashad White was able to do in his second year.
0: Yeah, and I think that the guys that you want to bet on in early best ball are the guys that can catch the ball. I think see the chat bringing up the fact that there's a lot of TBD landing spots for free agents as well as the NFL draft. Uh, This is I think that the running back class is a little bit beat up right now, but there's a lot of a few guys I think will end up being day two picks that we're going to like more as the summer moves along but the guys that i would also be looking at chase brown i think is interesting because he showed explosiveness and the ability to catch the ball roshan johnson could take a step forward uh those kind of guys interest me and then i got i think the guy that's kind of falling under the radar is ty chandler who actually finished the year strongly and it could be another committee backfield in minnesota who knows which way they're going to go, but we know it's not Alexander Madison as a guy you want to bet on. But we could talk running backs all day. We we can go right back to LA and the wide receiver that's steamed up big time and deservedly so uh, is Puka Nakua. But Andrew, this is a guy that, we, that was the, one of the greatest waiver wire finds of all time. But now you have to draft him at eight overall in underdog. He's going to be a lock first round pick. Are you in or out on Puka Nakua as your first round pick uh, if we were drafting today?
1: First round is steep. Uh, yeah. I will say that much. I, I think that I'll probably pass on him as a first rounder. Um, I think there are probably better receiver values that you can get probably in the second round. And I, I think it really is probably going to go to more of your flavor of, okay, if I take a running back over Puka, then who's the receiver I can get back versus the receiver I take. If I take Puka first, who's the running back I can get in round two? I am going to envision that I don't like that as much that I'm probably going to like going after the running back first, before we start to kind of see like a cliff where I get, I kind of see it between like that Jonathan Taylor, Travis Etienne, like kind of range. Like after that, I kind of start to see like the cliff fall a little bit with running backs where I start to get more concerned about, you know, what their workload is going to be like, how productive they're going to be. Whereas receiver, we know that especially at the top, like, it's really hard to find like major differences. Like so, what's Puka's ADP
0: uh for receivers specifically? Wide receiver six? He is currently wide receiver six. Yep.
1: Wide receiver six. So that means I can get AJ Brown after him. If, is it you can get that...
0: Garrett Wilson? You can get AJ Brown. And then if you want to wait until the second round, the second round's loaded. DJ Moore, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. The second round is 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 strong at wide receiver. Right yeah, now.
1: and then and then, so what does that mean? Does that mean Pittman is in round three, round four? Michael like...
0: Pittman currently is at wide receiver nineteen at twenty nine overall. So Whoa. you're, yeah, that there you go. Now you found your flag plan, Andrew.
1: 19 Whoa! Oh my God! Wow! That's crazy.
0: Time that's to get not... yourself some into some underdog early drafts, Andrew. <laughs> oh I, my I, you know, God! Now we got you back in the streets, and we love it. <laughs> but let's let's stay. So Puka, we're, we'll say the the price is about as high as it can get. I think it's more of a. I like Puka Nakua, but am I going to win? Do, how much upside do I have selecting him at eight overall? It's like a that's higher than Amon Ross St. Brown was going last year. That's higher than AJ Brown was going last year, and both of those guys we had a larger sample size of like continual high-end fantasy production. So I think I'm with you. It's hard to press that button at, at eight overall. Even structurally, that's a difficult one. One player that the market has not beat up as much as maybe I anticipated is Stefan Diggs. Stefan Diggs is currently going at 25 overall at wide receiver 14. It was like a tale of two cities. He started the season on an unbelievable tear and then finishes it in horrible fashion. Gave us like multiple weeks where he's scoring less than 10, Uh, PPR points uh, doesn't do anything in the fantasy in the NFL playoffs to kind of leave at least a a fond memory in our mind so we've seen him kind of regress and you bring up the Ken Dorsey that sort of shifted from a Stephon Diggs offense to a James Cook offense in terms of fantasy production the usage and targets were still there for Diggs for a lot of games just wasn't scoring points are you in or out on a about 30 year old Stephon Diggs at that price
1: at that price, I, I don't want digs. Not at not at wide receiver fourteen. Like I, I need I want the Mike Evans discount with Diggs. Like that, that, that's what I'm looking for here, folks. Um, because like you said, and this is back-to-back season where he's finished badly. Like yeah. last two years ago he finished badly and we all kind of put the blame on all oh, but Josh Allen, he's dealing with this shoulder injury thing. And, you know, in retrospect, like those are the worst arguments, I think, when there's like this undisclosed injury, why players doing bad and then they just do bad the next year anyway, and it doesn't matter because that injury was probably not true or real, you know, uh, Clyde Edwards, the is gallbladder. That's why he wasn't productive. It's was, like, no, like there are other reasons why he wasn't productive, but that's besides the point. Um, look, week 10 onward, Shakir had more receiving yards than Stevon Diggs did. Yes. Like that, that is a major red flag. For me, again, I do think that there is a price where you can get Diggs, and you should take him at that price. But at wide receiver 14, it's not low enough for me. And again, it's the Mike Evans rule. that I'm trying to remember from last year. It's like Mike Evans was a stud. He was always a stud. He had one bad year, but the opportunity was still there for him. And then he delivered upon that opportunity the following season. So again, like you pointed out, Diggs was getting all the opportunity, just really, really inefficient. Maybe it's just a blip on the radar, but. At wide receiver 14. I'm not willing to bet on him bouncing back. Um, he'd have to be cheaper for me.
0: Me too. I'm I'm out at that price. One wide receiver I always like to hear Andrew Erickson's opinion on is Chris Olave. Andrew uh had some negative thoughts on Olave last time we podcast together, way, way, way back. And at this time, Olave was like eighteen overall in the ADP. Uh being drafted as a wide receiver one, um, you know, you kind of eviscerated him at that price, and you were correct. Now it's, it's has corrected heading into his year three season. He is being drafted at wide receiver 18 at 29 overall. So he's right next to Michael Pittman. Are you in or out on Chris Olave year three with Derek Carr?
1: Okay, cool. Cause, cause that was the thing. I, I never doubted Olave as a talent player. Never did. But I was like, guys, like Derek Carr is not an upgrade. Like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Like, it's not an upgrade. And we saw that play out and it was horrible. You know, it's just watching Derek Carr, but, I would say at that price, yeah, I I am in on Chris Olave. I have him right lockstep with that price in my rankings at wide receiver 17 because I want to point this out because, again, as someone that's been very you know, suspect of of Chris Olave as a fantasy producer, not as a player, because sometimes there are players that are better in real life than fantasy. I think Olave's kind of been that the first two years in the NFL. Um, He and Derek Carr did start to gel a little bit in the second half of the season, weeks 12 through eight. Olave ranked second in the NFL in catchable target rate, 89, percent twelve point eight dot, twelve point seven points per game. That was wide receiver sixteen, and so they they lowered his average depth of target a little bit so that Carr could get in some more easy completions. Again, before weeks twelve, he had a 76% catchable rate that ranked 64th among all wide receivers. So like Derek Carr was like thrown to a different stratosphere <laughs> than where Chris He's Olave so was, but. They did start to improve down the stretch, and I, I don't think that should be totally ignored. It's a new quarterback, a new wide receiver. Like sometimes it takes time for these guys to build up chemistry. And I mean, because Carr did play well in the second half of the season, like that gives him job security. Because if he had sucked the entire year, like there'd be question marks. About, like, oh my god, like what are the Saints gonna do? quarterback? Like he's gonna be the starter in for the 2024 season. And I think that they can pick up where they left off. So at that price, I actually do like Chris Olave, and I think that if this chemistry does carry over. We could see him make the jump because we know the talent is there and we know that his expected points, his opportunities in this offense reflect that of a fantasy wide receiver one. So if I can get him at that mid-wide receiver two price tag, I think that, hey, at worst, he just finishes where I drafted him, but we know that he does have a higher ceiling just based on how talented he is.
0: Yeah, I, I like I that take. And I, I'm really hoping that the Saints shake it up this offseason, make a huge overpay to try to trade up and get Jaden Daniels or just take one of these other quarterbacks and and have some competition. It's like we have all these talented guys on New Orleans we would love to see take a step forward. They're kind of in purgatory there with with Derek Carr, with where the team can go. But uh, we talked about Puka Nakua, but the the other wide receiver who's gained the most underdog value uh, over the course of last year by far is Nico Collins. Nico Collins has steamed all the way up to wide receiver nine in early underdog ADP. On the flip side, Tank Dell is wide receiver 21. Andrew, if we would have had a conversation, let's say Thanksgiving, and I would have said, Andrew, which wide receiver do you prefer um, in 2024, Tank Dell or Nico Collins? I think we both would have been on Tank Dell. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but Tank Dell had an unbelievable season in terms of points per game, gave us like five games over 20 points scored, PPR points, and then unfortunately gets lost for the season. On the flip side, Nico Collins ends the season extremely well. Gives us two games of like 190 receiving yards. Catches a touchdown in Houston's big win over Cleveland uh, in the NFL playoffs. So like the steam is on Nico Collins. And Tank Dell, it's still there. He's a wide receiver too, but not quite as much. Which one do you prefer? And are you in or out on either of these players at ADP right now?
1: You know what they say, Theo, about steam? Uh, sometimes get you get burned uh, That's by the right. steam. And I think Nico Collins, a wide receiver nine, like guys, like you can't just copy and paste what we saw at the end of last year and be like, all right, well, he's going to do the exact same thing again. Like, I, I, no, for me, it's tanked Dell. Like, I think that at a value, it's, it's so obviously him as the superior guy to draft outside the top 20 wide receivers. And like you mentioned, not putting words in my mouth, no, but I would have been lockstep with you right around Thanksgiving. Like it was debate. It was like Collins Tank Dell. Like, oh, which one do you pick? Because when you look at when they played together, they played eight games together when they were both healthy and the production was pretty much identical, like right around 14 points per game. Is 13.9 for Collins, 14 points per game for Tank Dell. And we just can't be, oh, well then Nico Collins went on this opposite massive run, but there was, again, no one else in the offense to compete with targets. So it's like, okay, of course, he's going to have these monster games. And a lot of it was like big play related, a lot of it yards after the catch. And the thing to me that I think is so... The, the parallel i draw when i look at this team and the way it's set up again we talk about bobby slovak coming in from pff coming in from the 49 it's like it's the 49ers south essentially is what it is and who is who nico collins is debo samuel tank dell is brandon iuk and throughout that debo samuel Ayuk debate i've always been on the IUke side because i always felt that his type of production as a more traditional down the field air yards type of wide receiver was much more sticky year over year than someone like Debo, who is all yards out to the catch. Yak, yak, yak. Like that's how Debo Samuel wins. And Debo Samuel obviously was a monster producer last year, but two years ago, major bust. Right. Yes. It's it's trending in the exact same way for Nico Collins to be a major bust. Like he's he's doing everything that we suggested with Debo Samuel. It's like this is not a guy you want to draft this high in the second round. Like your your bonkers are going to draft this guy this high, whereas you can get the actual prototypical wide receiver one in this offense that we like at a cheaper price tag when they were both playing both healthy they were putting up the exact same points per game so for me this is not even close i will never touch nico collins as a wide receiver nine price tag i'm sorry i i look i was in on him last year i I benefited from it i got in while the game was good now it's not (laughs) like the the price is way out of control so i'm out and i'll just take tank dell outside the top 20 receivers that's easy for me
0: i'll say that i i'm Not surprised that there's like steam and excitement about Nico Collins, but I'm shocked that he's going ahead of like DJ Moore right now, going ahead of Brandon Ayuk. I think that's that's just a little much for me. Um, And I think it's, you know, we love CJ Stroud. Take the cheaper one. And this could all come like crumbling down for both of them because like the chat has said, they have a lot of cap space. And this seems like a franchise that has already pushed the chips in. Essentially, they might draft one of these wide receivers in a very deep wide receiver class as well. Uh, so one, two, two wide receivers that I have on the show sheet, but I'm going to combine them into one question. Who is a bigger winner from a coordinator hire? Drake London with Zach Robinson in Atlanta or Devonta Smith getting Kellen Moore in Philadelphia?
1: I think for me, it's it's probably Drake London. Um, I, I just think that anyone that's just like more open to using guys in different ways as opposed to, hey, let's run the ball a ton, let's not. Let's hide our quarterback. Let's not get our dynamic playmakers the ball. So I think that Drake London is definitely the player I think benefits the most for me. I don't really see Kellen Moore being really much of an, a winner for Devontae. Like when I look at Devontae Smith, the last two years, his production has been okay when everyone is healthy, but then we just see him like go to the moon whenever someone gets hurt. Like that's really what he's done the last two years. And last year it made him overvalued in drafts. I didn't draft Devonte Smith at all because I'm like, guys, he was good because Dallas Goddard got hurt and then he turned to a wide receiver one. And then what do you th- what happened this past year? Same exact thing. You know, a guy goes down and DeMonte Smith steps up major league. Dallas Goddard missed three games last year. DeMonte Smith, 100 yards receiving per game. Like that's what he benefits the most from. So when someone gets hurt on the offense, so unless they just totally phase out one of these pieces, like a Dallas Goddard under Kellen Moore, I don't really anticipate that happening. I don't really think it's a big difference for him being there. So for me, it's definitely Drake London with Zach Robinson.
0: Yeah, London's the bigger winner, but I, I would push back a little bit. I think that Kellen Moore is going to do some things for Devonta Smith to get him a involved a little bit more. We saw that the the targets dip from from year two to year three. Like to me, Devonta Smith's a guy that you know he's a one hundred thirty five target guy, not a hundred fifteen target guy. So he has been fortunate with being able to stay on the field. Got injured at the end of this season, but uh, I think that the Kellen Moore uh, hire is going to be solid for him. I think A.J. Brown is sort of capped out in terms of the volume he can handle. Uh, so I'd look for like Devonta Smith to at least kind of balance out, return a little bit more value to ADP than he did last year when he got steamed in the second round. But I agree with you. Drake London's the biggest winner here. Like You could see Drake London having that huge year two to year three ascension, uh, like rational coaching, using him like a proper alpha, using him like a real wide receiver one. I- I'm excited for that one. Uh, I, do, I keep doing these shows, and I keep completely ignoring – tight end and quarterback. So we're going to take, to, to get you out of here not too long from now, Andrew, I want to try to fast forward. We're going to skip some of these other wide receiver questions, but I was just in a draft called the Hardway draft FFPC uh, with a bunch of, you know, some, some people from the industry and a lot of just great drafters that are high stakes people in FFPC. And the first four quarterbacks were, as you would predict, it was Josh Allen, Jalen hurts, Lamar Jackson, Patrick Mahomes, but quarterbacks five and quarterback six were cj stroud and anthony richardson the two rookies from last year i mean stroud unbelievable season anthony richardson unbelievable in a short sample size in terms of fantasy production are you in or out on drafting these two guys in this sort of elite range or should we kind of temper our expectations with pushing them there
1: uh in on anthony richardson uh, QB5, QB6, wherever that range is. I think that the rushing production is worth paying up for because that has shown to be sticky year over year. But what's not sticky year over year is passing efficiency. Like, it's so easy to find the quarterbacks that bust year over year because of the guys that throw the most touchdowns the year before. Oh, Patrick Mahomes, oh, he's, he's untouchable. He threw so many touchdowns without Tyree Kill. And what happened the next year? Oh, he just didn't throw as many touchdowns because passing efficiency fluctuates at a much higher rate than rushing production does. So C.J. Stroud at this price, again, like Nico Collins, like, I'm just not going to draft C.J. Stroud. Like, do I feel great talking about that? Like, no. But why would I draft C.J. Stroud when I could just draft Joe Burrow later? I- yeah. I'm hoping that C.J. Stroud becomes Joe Burrow, right? Like, like, that's what I'm trying to understand here. And like, it's, again, it's the steam. It's the steam, man, with these Texans players. Like, everyone's going to forget that, oh, the Jaguars were literally this team last year. And then they disappointed everybody. And then everyone gets off of them. Now all their prices are super cheap. And everyone's just gonna be all over the Texans. And chasing the steam, again, maybe they hit, maybe they don't, but you don't there's no advantage to that. Like you have to expect them to do exactly what they did last year, which is hard enough to do because of how good it was last year. They can't exceed expectations anymore. Like they have to meet expectations just for you to meet their ADPs. So I see no advantage in drafting these super expensive Texans players after one season. So I think that's ludicrous going after just chasing the touchdown efficiency again he puts he posted the best touchdown interception ratio the highest passing yards per game like so he's just going to be better next year <laughs> like it doesn't work like that success is not linear theo as a very successful man that i bet you are you know that success is not a linear path it's, <laughs> it's very like up and down like this yeah. so stroud's not gonna just pick up week one and be like oh 300 yards again Eagle Collins call another 150 yard game like that's not gonna happen but for rushing Rushing has shown to be more sticky. So that's why I like buying Richardson at that price, but not CJ Stroud when there are other passing efficiency players that I can just buy the dips on. Like the Bengals, for example, are just like the easiest buy low team because they're just being written off because all their guys got hurt last year. Like Joe Burrow was averaging nearly 22 points per game. Like when he was healthy and you know, the thing with Stroud is I always try to look for the 20 point per game threshold when it comes to quarterbacks to kind of look at them as like truly elite assets Stroud was under 20 points per game last year. Like he wasn't even technically an elite asset because he's really not that much of a rusher. So for me, I'm not paying that price.
0: Yeah, it's, it's actually kind of shocking how high up he's been steamed. I thought that could have been maybe a one-off draft. Uh, You know, I was in where somebody wanted to flag plan him. There's a bunch of people flag planning. I flag planted a couple guys, but then I see the early underdog returns. And like you bring up Joe Burrow. CJ Stroud is going 25 picks ahead, more than two rounds different. So it's, I'm with you on Anthony Richardson though. I think like if we have a mental exercise, if you're going to draft one of the first four, you are betting on those guys finishing as QB one. It's in the range of outcomes for several of these guys. We've seen it. You know, we've seen Lamar Jackson. We've seen Josh Allen do it like three times now, you know, certainly Patrick Mahomes, if he gets the weapons. But when I'm drafting in that quarterback, like five through nine range, then I really think I need to bet on that player being QB one overall material. And Anthony Richardson has that in his range of outcomes. Stroud's not going to give you that rushing upside that he could do it. He'd have to throw, you know, 55 touchdown passes or something to do. it. I mean, that's
1: what the underdog drafts are expecting from Nico Collins. So yeah,
0: that's right. That's (laughs) right. The Houston steam. Uh, Jordan love though, has settled in as QB 11. He was quarterback five overall last season. And he had, Seven quarters of tremendous play in the, in the playoffs. So he's, you know, and let's, let's, you know, remind everybody those were road playoff games as well. Flawless in Dallas. And then made some very, very good plays against San Francisco before kind of whittling away in the fourth quarter, but young weapons last year, he had all first and second year players at tight end and wide receiver finishes as QB five gave you some nice rushing production to go with, you know, solid passing production. Now he's QB 11. So he's going ahead of Brock Purdy, going ahead of Kyler Murray. Where are you at on him at that price? Do you think that makes sense?
1: I do. I I like this price. I think this is a good price for Jordan Love. I think that it helps capture a lot of his upside that he can offer. Again, second in the NFL in passing touchdowns last year, 32 as the first year as a starter. Like he's not, why is he not getting like CJ Stroud love? Again, he's not a rookie, but it was his first year starting. He's still a young player. Isn't he younger than Kenny Pickett? Like, isn't he like, he's got to be younger than Bo Nix. Like, I know that guy's super old. Um, but no, I think that Jordan Love is a great pick at QB 11. He's someone I'm circling on early drafts, early draft boards, a quarterback. You look at what this team did, and part of the reason why he was so successful is like, this team was throwing in the red zone so much. That's why we look at red zone targets, end zone targets, targets inside the 10 yard line. You're going to see if you like filter any type of data set by those numbers, you're going to see like 10 Green Bay Packers players just like Romeo Dobbs. Christian Watson was like top 10 in end zone targets despite playing half the season. (laughs) Like he played nine games and had like 16 end zone targets because this offense is focused on throwing the ball in the end zone. And that's what happens when your running back is hurt all year and you have AJ Dillon as the other starting running back. So unless they do some massive shakeup where they're going to bring in this like goal line bruiser, where AJ Dillon's a free agent, like he's gone, like he's not coming back. So Aaron Jones, not necessarily a goal back, but someone that they can use just to make the offense better overall. I I love Jordan love at, at QB 11.
0: I'm, I'm in on Jordan love. I'm in on Jordan love in redraft best ball and also dynasty where, you know, Andrew brings up his age and the fact that he's also doesn't have a whole lot of experience as a starter. And, like, we talked about, like, Green Bay could also go out and get a weapon for him, whether it's the draft or free agency. They certainly have the cap space to do so. Uh, I think it was Andrew Cooper referenced that it was every single wide receiver and tight end collectively, like, he named, like, seven of them, including, like, the Bo Melton's and even below Bo Melton. It was like eight guys total had less of a cap hit than Alan Lazard did last year. (laughs) So like they have all sorts of room to to grow in terms of like what they can do to bring in to support Jordan Love. And if he has a healthy Aaron Jones, that's also a little bit of an X factor because you know, that that will help a young quarterback. As we saw in the playoffs, Aaron Jones has a lot of gas left in the tank. Uh, One other quarterback, Trevor Lawrence last year was the guy that a lot of people were betting on as the big player to bet on. He was getting drafted in like that QB8, QB9 range where people viewed him as a guy who could give you potential top three production at a pretty high ADP, but not an overly inflated one. He'd taken such a big step forward in year two. Year three, very disappointing for a lot of people. Um, Ends the year with 21 touchdown passes, 14 interceptions. Where are you at on Trevor Lawrence at QB15? Does this intrigue you as a get right season for him, or is he sort of just a purgatory guy? that belongs in like this QB 10 through QB 18 range.
1: No, I, I think this is a good right spot for him. I, I like it, QB 15. This was his points per game average last season. It was QB 15. And i like to point out his points per game was still better than the year before. Like I thought drafting him last year didn't make any sense. I I didn't understand why he was someone that we were like fuming up boards as this guy you have to get and get out of Calvin Ridley and all these things. But like, it's the same thing that we're doing with Stroud this year. It's like it just doesn't work in that linear way, especially with guys that don't show the elite ceiling. Trevor Lawrence, another player, had never flashed the 20 points per game threshold and then he disappoints, right? But if you anyone that's watched Jacksonville play last year, they left so much production on the table. Like it's a bonkers to think about what could have been their offense had things actually kind of worked out in a few different ways. I mean, just watch Calvin Ridley highlights and low lights. Like the guy like could have had he could have had like the wide receiver one overall season yeah. if he wanted to, but he didn't. Like, that's not how things worked out for him. But there's still a lot of weapons on this team. They fix their offensive line, get a little bit healthier. Trevor Lawrence, obviously, was really banged up. You know, one of the reasons I was really super on the, on the Jaguars specifically, I was like always hesitant to buy all in was two years ago, they were one of the healthiest teams in the NFL. And what happens year over year is that just doesn't happen. Like your injuries regress. And what do we see this year? injuries all over the place, like offensive line, to Trevor Lawrence, and, and that negatively impacted them. So I think this is a classic case of everyone was a year too early on the Jaguars. And this is the year now that they're all discounted after being so expensive last year, this is the year to buy the dip on the Jacksonville Jaguars.
0: And, you know, I told Andrew, I'd get him out of here in 55 minutes. We're coming up on an hour. So we're going to go tight end roulette and we're going to do quick, quick questions. Your current tight end one heading into 2024. Mark Andrews. Okay, so we're on Mark Andrews. Sam Laporta is currently going off the board as tight end one overall, 37 overall on underdog. In FFPC tight end premium, he's at like a one-two turn. He's going well ahead of Andrews. So push back a little bit. Make the case for Mark Andrews in year two under Todd Munkin over the red-hot rookie Sam Laporta.
1: Well, before Mark Andrews' injury, he was the tight end one in terms of points per game. like. I, I, We have a bigger sample of Mark Andrews being an elite producer. Again, Sam Laporta's had one really great year, excellent year, historic rookie year for a tight end. Um, but tight ends are players that are more likely to get hurt, right? You know, that's something I looked at when I was looking at tight end busts. It's like if you don't want to take the risk of drafting a tight end early, it's because they get hurt a lot, just because of the nature of the position. We saw Mark Andrews get hurt last year, and Laporta was healthy for most of the season. See if he
0: can keep that up uh, into year two. David Njoku red hot to end last season with Joe Flacco. He's settled in at tight end eight. So not like crazy, but certainly higher than we've we've seen David Njoku being drafted for the last few seasons in or out on David Njoku as a guy who can keep up this sort of high end tight end production and give you a potential top five tight end season. I'm in Uh, last
1: few seasons and Njoku second, only Travis Kelsey and total red zone targets second.
0: Tight ends are like wine guys, they age, they age well. It's not like other positions. And uh Jake Ferguson, he's tight end 9. Is this a guy that was just a situational producer and has a great playoff game where he catches three touchdown passes? Is do you think Jake Ferguson is a very talented player or just a plug and play guy with Dak Prescott?
1: I think he's a plug and play guy with Dak Prescott. Like again with Lamb and Jake Ferguson, it's like if Tony Pollard had just scored more touchdowns than that would have been negatively impacted by those guys. Like lamb was first in red zone targets. Jake Ferguson was first in red zone targets at their positions. Like they're not going to be in the red zone nearly as often. I don't think next year, just general regression and whoever the running back is, maybe it's not Tony Pollard, but whichever running back is in Dallas is going to score more touchdowns than Tony Pollard did this year. (laughs) So that's going to negatively impact the receiver and tight end that were benefiting greatly from all those red zone opportunities.
0: Dalton Kincaid currently going off the board at tight end five. Trey McBride cur- currently going off the board at tight end six. So a little bit different than I would have anticipated in terms of the early underdog uh, ADP. This seemed like the market is was more hot for McBride, but it's actually leaning Kincaid. Where are you at with those two players? Who would you rather have heading into next season?
1: Oh, that's that's easy Trey McBride for me. I, I don't think that's even close. I'm I'm very shocked, but I, I was shocked by Michael Pittman's ADP, but I I am generally shocked by McBride behind King, King.
0: Yeah, that one I'm that one I'm I'm actually very shocked at as well. He went off the board as tight end four, uh, in our hard way draft. I think I uh, I took him at the I think I got him at like the 312, which was we've seen him going off the board a little bit higher in some of these FFPC leagues. So the FFPC market obviously tight end premium is value him 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 more than what we're seeing on underdog but andrew i've I've kept you now over an hour this was awesome i can't wait to chop it up with you this off season a little bit more whether it's first class fantasy or press coverage got to tell the podfather to have you back on but we're going to give him a time limit as well no 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 two and a half hour mind a mansion don't worry don't worry but let everybody know where they can find your work andrew
1: yeah so you can find my work over on Fantasy Pros. I my 2024 fantasy football forecast that came out. So, write ups on all 30 teams, minus the teams playing in the Super Bowl, and over on bettingpros.com as well. So, if you want to have some fun, tail some bets, fade my bets. If you think I'm an idiot and you want to fade me, then you can see all my bets there. They're all synced up with the Betting Pros app. You can see me, you can fade all of them, and maybe you'll have a profitable Sunday for the Super Bowl.
0: Don't fade Andrew, guys. Don't <laughs> fade Andrew. You want to listen to those player props. He's really good at those. Uh, check out his work over on Fantasy Pros. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. Andrew's dropping sharp work all season and all off season tomorrow. First class fantasy. We're going to be back. Billy Muzio and I are going to take an early look at NFL free agency and the impact that it can have on fantasy football. And then Friday I have Garrett price of uh, dynasty nerds coming on for a dynasty life. We got you covered all off season long here at press coverage. Some of the sharpest guests in football stick with us all off season long. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your week.